In this episode of Undictated, we're going to be talking with Paul O'Sullivan, no stranger to the business community, and Hannes Stradom, who wore the number five jersey right through the game when South Africa won the World Cup in 1995. So it's quite appropriate that he's wearing a jersey, not that jersey you can see as it's from 99, but uh, Hannes has been under the cosh. Uh, he has a, he's a businessman, he's a pharmacist, and we'll go into that story, which is one that so many of us can learn from. Undictated is all about getting context so you can know more. And going through all of the detail of this saga, which uh, we'll unpack for you in the next 20 minutes or so, reminded me very much of the experience my wife and I had. At one point in time, we owned a health shop. She actually owned it. We got a guy who came and and worked for us. And the only advantage that this health shop had, it was in the Rosebank Mall in Johannesburg, was from a company called Solgar. They only sold their products through health stores, not through the Skim or Clicks pharmacies, which are far, far cheaper. And as a consequence, we were very, it was a very important supplier to us. We hired a guy who seemed to be uh, very far more knowledgeable than we were. He engaged very well with the uh, customers. And unfortunately, what we discovered was that Solgar was supplying us with products that were coming into the shop, being signed for by him, and then going straight out of the shop. And when I got hold of Solgar and asked them what was going on, somebody there said to me, well, there is a store at Melrose Arch where the owner has a very bad credit record. We do not supply them, and yet they have Solgar on their shelves. On a bit further investigation, we saw there was a relationship between these two. Unfortunately for us, we couldn't prove anything. We had to pay the guy to leave, and that was the story. Now, Hannes, that to me, reading through the detail of what you've gone through, was that on a tiny basis, given that you're a far, far bigger operation and there's tens of millions yeah. of rands that are involved here, it sounds similar to what you've just been through. I think, Alex, I think it's similar, similar actions, different, different modes of operandi changes as well, too, because I mean, he might get caught out on the one way, but definitely it did happen that that stuff was received, not even GRV. In other words, it's because the received valves was being ridden out for it, so it wasn't put onto the stock system of the of the pharmaceutical wholesaler, and then went directly into into buckies being delivered um, to 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 warehouses where 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 they were waiting for it, and the, the payments used to be cash only. And um, that it used to be, be some of them used to be through invoice, invoice where you go out legally through the pharmacy or through the wholesaler. And then the wholesaler itself, after it's gone gone out as a COD or on account, um, the, the credit would have been passed through. And then the credit would, would, would then show that there's no sale and amp balance outstanding. And then the stock adjustment would be done. Um, uh, to 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 cancel out to the shortage of stock. So you, when you do our, our, our monthly or our bi-monthly or, or a four four yearly big cycle counts, no stock discrepancies were shown into that dis, that that cycle count. So it looked as if the stock is fine, but the stock has been coming in and out, or not even reaching the storm. It's similar to what you guys experienced, and and it takes a while to pick it up. Um, your bookkeepers and all those people should have picked it up as well. Your VAT return should have been not not based, and even even doing your your credit balances on your statements according to your invoices and your proof of deliveries, and also then then the, then the GRB where it was it was received into your own system itself. Some system has picked it up, but 
I think you can draw, usually there's a, a camaraderie of people working together. There's a fine line of people working together. It's not just one person that can do it on its own. You know, what are people working together? And your staff also probably sees what happened, you know. I mean, they probably saw the stock coming in and going out and they don't speak. And that's, that's what's so alarming for me that the staff members that, that see something wrong is going on and the manager is doing it, they don't make a loan. And how long, how long has it been carrying on? It's it been carrying on, you don't know for how long. Exactly. You're fired by the manager, the manager fighting him because he's involved and he's actually responsible for them and he can hire and fire them the way they, he wants to do it. But this is such an interesting story because it must be, if it happened to us with our little store, it's happened on a, on a grand scale with you and I'd like to unpack that in a moment. It's got to be happening all over the, 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 the country and anybody who's watching this, who's in the retail game, beware. Yeah. In the way, and and I, I think I've done about my I've, I've enrolled for four times for MBA degree, but I think I've done my MBA degree with all these um, um, dealings and stealings from me. I've, I've done my own very expensive um, MBA course, and coincidentally, the, the pharmacist that did this this, this, um, this defrauding um, had his MBA none. So I mean, he was a master in in, in working sums out, um, finding alternative routes of of this this dispersing of the stuff or the stock or the or the invoices, or the proof of deliveries, and all those type of things. So it was a combination of a very clever, well-coordinated and orchestrated thing. And 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 don't forget, from your Augustus singing person to your security to your bookkeeper to your pharmacist. And then what I found, you know, Alec, is the interesting thing is um, in a in a bookkeeping system or in a in a in a, in a sale sales system and in a warehousing system or any of a shop, not one person should be allowed to do it. A debit, in other words, charge someone an account, and the same person that must be allowed on the system with these logging details to give credit for that same person for 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 account as well. It's got to be two separate entities, and he gave himself the right to be able to, in other words, put it on a on a fake account, and then also putting a credit back and cancelling it after the goods has been has been sent out to through the, the legal routes of the, the the security guard and all those things. So it goes out legally because it's an invoice, but the invoice is cancelled afterwards. In your instance, I think the invoice never never got onto your system as well. So many a yeah. time it happened to me as well. And and you, you would have seen it if you reconciled your, your, your statements, you, you will pick it up. How big a business is this, Hannes? You you've uh, I've read through the court papers, but if you lose 50 million rand plus, because that's only the one line, it's only the one product that that uh, Paul has investigated. But before we bring Paul in, how, how big a business is it? It's, I think it's quite a big business. The the the, the black market for anything in the in the world is, is a big for medicine, especially. I mean, if you take a Viagra tablet or something like that, there's always Viagras on the black market available, and all those type of things really cause a bit of problems. But that's why I got Paul O'Sullivan in. Was he's, he's fantastic in his in his his way of of of, of dig, digging deeper and deeper and deeper and getting up to the roots of things, and it actually that's the reason why I got Paul on board because of his expertise, his way of doing things, and, and not taking no for an answer, and not not the stop street is not a stop street. You carry on because there's a stop street for a reason in the road because they try and then and disguise what they've been. Paul, so when you were brought in by Hannes. Uh, how do you start investigating something like this? Because it appears to be a criminal syndicate at work within the organization. Yeah, there's no doubt um, we were able to discover that there was a criminal syndicate at work. When we got involved, 
Um, we had a number of staff working on this project, and one of them is our um, financial accountant, uh, who's also a forensic auditor. And we started with the paper trail, and we started asking for various documents. And we looked at the amount of sales going through, and we chose one particular product of one particular supplier because otherwise uh, we could have had a forensic investigation that goes on for two or three years and we've actually completed the work in a couple of months. Now, um, the supplier we chose, we're not going to name names because the supplier wasn't involved in any way, shape or form in the scam, but the supplier we chose, uh, we chose a particular product that that supplier supplies and the product in question is a codeine-based cough syrup, 100 milliliter bottles. And unfortunately, in South Africa, there's a problem among certain people who see that not as a, a cough syrup, but see it as a, a way of getting a fix because codeine, it's a morphine-based drug, and there are certain controls in place. You can't go into it shop without giving your name and say give me a hundred bottles of codeine because they there's no way they'll supply it in fact even if you want to buy one bottle you're supposed to give your name and or you're on their system already and they'll recognize you and just you know issue it to you on that basis now we found that the syndicate was being led by the general manager and what started triggering our concern was when we started asking for certain documents, the staff we requested the documents from upped and resigned on the same day. And when they gave in their resignation, they put in a, uh, in a written resignation, and the way in which they resigned was they blamed Hannes for targeting staff, for not being a not being a good boss and for being aggressive. Meanwhile, um, and then when one of them resigned, I, I then got one of, my, in fact, it was Ashley, Ashley Fonda. I said, listen, we'd like to, we know you've resigned. We're sorry you've fallen out with Hannes, but we'd like to have a chat to you anyway. And she effectively told us, no, she's not interested. Uh, we must get lost. And then it's amazing, a few weeks later, uh, we see her, with her face covered so you can't make out who she is, giving uh, an interview on Carl Blanche. And that's quite shocking because she was actually part and parcel of the problem, and so too was the accountant. So we had a situation where the general manager was ordering and buying stock, going into the books of the company, and then selling the stock on the black market and then with the cash proceeds of the sales on the black market, was paying for the stock as if he is one of the, uh, the, the customers. So you end up with a situation where, for example, uh, the warehouse would ship a thousand, we just you know use a figure at random, a thousand bottles of syrup to one of Hannes's pharmacies. And the account for that thousand bottles of syrup instead of being paid internally by that pharmacy, was being paid uh, by this external party who hadn't bought the syrup at all. And then we figured out that, in fact, it was, it was the, the, main, the main suspect, the ringleader, 
we figured out that it was actually his contacts that were paying for the product. Now, we interviewed the, the staff that remained, and when we interviewed the staff that remained, um, <laughs> and because of the nature of the investigation, they were all interviewed under caution, so they were warned, you know, that if they had done anything wrong, they should now speak about it and so on and so forth. But they came right on out and said, no, but actually we just did what we were told. He was a general manager. He was our boss. And we just did what he was told. And he would come to us and say, don't put those invoices through. Leave them. And then he'd come to us and say, put those invoices through. And then a week later, he'd say, actually reverse those invoices. So he had other staff doing, so he didn't have his fingerprints on the documentation. But he made a mistake because some of the stuff he actually did himself. And you have to log in when you work on the system, and we could see it was him that did it. And then, of course, the biggest mistake he made was he used the staff, the delivery drivers of Hannes' company, to deliver the stock that he was stealing. And, of course, we interviewed them, and they couldn't remember the addresses, so I had one of my staff take the, the delivery driver in, in, in one of our cars, and we went to the locations where he delivered it. And lo and behold, uh, it was the same storage facility that Carte Blanche visited, and the story Carte Blanche had with a doctor, who a doctor claimed he'd never received any goods at all, we in fact uh, got evidence that one of the delivery drivers was sent by the main suspect to pick up a package from that same doctor, and when he got there, the package wasn't ready, and he had to sit there and wait while they counted wads of money, 200 rand notes, into a large envelope, which was probably in excess of 100,000 rand, and that money he brought back to the general manager of Hannes' business. Now, when we put all the pieces of the jigsaw together, what we actually find was there was a crime syndicate operating within the company. Oh, I should also tell you, he was issuing invoices. He had another member of staff that was working there, and he gave her a laptop, and he directed her to issue invoices for his side business. And his side business involved selling these products. Now, she was making out the invoices during Hullis's company time, producing the invoices on their printer, giving into it to, to the main suspect, and the suspect was collecting the cash for the goods that he was selling, which he'd stolen from Alice's pharmacy. Now, I approached her. She'd left the company. She agreed to give a sworn statement. And then as I was on my way to her to get the sworn statement, she changed her mind. So it's clear that he he got out there. The main suspect had got to her. And so we've now requested the police to go and pick her up because there's evidence that she uh, was involved in the crime syndicate as well. And then the sad part about it is these people, in order to get uh, ahead of any criminal investigation, because we went in there uh, in June, by, by June, they all panicked when they realized we were coming on the scene. And their backup was to go to carte blanche and claim that Hannes had cocked up this scheme where he was selling codeine-based products on the black market. Meanwhile, he knew nothing about it. We uncovered the whole thing. So then all the witnesses that Carte Blanche used to put their documentary together were people that are part of the crime syndicate. 
which means carte blanche have actually conspired with a criminal syndicate to accuse the victim of committing the crime, the very same crime that they'd committed. And if he had committed the crime, how is it that he's the one that's out of pocket to the tune of about 50 million rand, when in fact the crime syndicate have walked away with all that money? Yo, what a story. Anas, what about the impact of it on you? Alec, this person that the, the, the main brain out behind it is, is a pharmacist, and he was the responsible pharmacist, taking charge of each and every responsibility and, and medicine that was uh, uploaded or sold in that business. So he was the responsible pharmacist, qualified person with an MBA that did these things. So it was well orchestrated, making me look as, as if I'm a culprit. I, I have determined 350 staff members. So it's impossible to, to watch over 350 staff members. We had our rules. We are wholesaler. A wholesaler may sell in, in big quantities. And my rule was, if you sell in big quantities, you must make sure it's registered with the pharmacy council organization that you're selling to and make sure you've got a certificate on hand. And that, 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 that was done. So, so I couldn't find anything fault with it. The only thing I found fault with it was, was that my cash flow was going down and down and down, and these big transactions were apparently going through. And I remember, I like that, that he, he sold the medicine and took all the profit for himself. Now, I was still sitting with a bill outstanding to the pharmaceutical supplier. So I still had no income out of it. I lost all the sales of it, and I still had to pay the, the, the pharmaceutical company for the goods that I've received already as well. So it was a double loss for me, and that's why the quantities can be 55 to 60, 70 million rand that he's, that he's done in this in the state. Yes, we earned up and sold big quantities. So it wasn't absurd to sell 10,000 of certain products to do to, to, to groups or to pharmacies, because that's the all we have. We're a pharmaceutical wholesaler as well. I'm just wondering if whether this is a South African equivalent of the OxyContin uh, saga in the United States. I don't know that it's codeine-based, and that it's, a, it's not a morphine-based, it's more of a codeine-based. And the codeine-based is a, is, a, is a mood lifter, and it's a euphoric drug, you know, so they, they use it apparently for that. I've never used it myself, even if I had a cough. But it, it, it's a product that's highly in demand, seems to me. And you must remember that, that, that Paul, Paul Sullivan and, and his, his group have only done one company, and that, that came to this, this big amount of 22 to 30 million already, and they're still due to, to another three companies' products. They're still up for coming. But we had to make the court case because it's getting warm around me because I'm being made out as, as, as the guilty person. So we so Paul rushed down to get this first final report of the one company signed and sealed and basketed and, and all the loose ends tied in so that at least we can go make a case. And now we've got a, a top, top forensic expert doing a, a, the report on, on, on the crimes and, and it, it carries water and Paul's investigations are thorough. It's, it's clean cut. There's no, no misunderstandings in court. And, and also the, the, the inspector that does the case and also the prosecuting officer said to us, they won't, they won't go do the rest until we have got a forensic, full forensic report. And that's why I went for Paula Southern because I think Paula is the best to do something like that and then to, to make sure I've got the best person doing it and not, not doing it myself and trying to make a case out of it where Paul's case is much more solid. Paul, from your side, why would uh, the chief suspect and suspects and, and the criminal guys, why would they go to carte blanche? What was their hope? Because surely at some point in time, the scheme had to be exposed. Well, I think they realized that they would be exposed. I mean, when I rocked up there, I don't rock up there with a team of people and they all start clapping hands. Um, you know, 
uh, I, I used the expression with Ashley. I said, look, the rats are jumping off the ship. Now, that's what happened there. They realized that uh, the trouble was coming. Now, we do forensic investigations at various companies and corporations, and sometimes when we arrive there on our first day to start the work, we see the windows, uh, the curtains or the blinds on the windows moving as we're getting out of our car in the car park. And a murmur goes around that head office building. And by lunchtime, it's, you know, the, the general chat at the water, the, the cold water station where they get their water is, oh, crap, there's something going on. And normally what happens is people go, uh, they die for cover. In fact, quite often, if it's a corporate investigation we're doing, on our first day at work, we go around and we photograph the, the, high, the high cost vehicles in the, in, this, in the staff car park. Because quite often these people show their wealth. They don't steal all that money and come to work in a beat-up old banger. So that's how we start our, our work. Now, in the case of Hannes, we suddenly found that people that we wanted to speak to resigned and left. And documents were missing, by the way. They didn't just resign and left. The documents, the original documents, the GRVs with the signatures off, were gone. So we had to reconstitute from what the supplier could reissue and from what records were on the system uh, at, at Hannes's company. Now, that tells you right away that it's an inside job that's going on. And there's no doubt in our mind that the picture they painted, they had to paint and they had to do it publicly to try and make Hannes like the bad guy. Now, who else could they go to? Carte Blanche are so gullible, they do these investigations all the time. I mean, we're talking about the same organization that on the 8th of May 2016 went on air and accused me of kidnapping somebody. So, you know, <laughs> it's... And, and, and that kidnap, the person that I'm alleged to have kidnapped uh, was the mistress of the, of the, the person that was producing that, that insert. Now, so, in fact, we caught her stealing at her employer's work. And uh, she she wasn't kidnapped at all. And they waited three years, the, the, the kidnapped victim, and they opened a, a fake criminal docket against me, and the thing was thrown out of court as being rubbish. And carte blanche fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. And when they realized that they'd fallen for hook, line, and sinker, the first thing they did was to take down that show. There's no existence of that insert anywhere on their on their website, but they're stupid because I've got a copy of it, and every now and then I play it and watch how gullible Carte Blanche are and how it's all about sensation. Now, what's of interest is that Hannes's lawyer, we had a meeting, and, and Hannes's lawyer wrote to Carte Blanche and asked them for details of how they make their money, and they flatly refused to respond. Well, we know how they make their money. They have these independent producers that work for carte blanche and each one of them has their own little cc or pty setup and they invoice carte blanche if they make a show and that it's normally a, a, a anything from 10 to 12 in this case i think it was 20 minutes of insert which is one of the longest productions they've ever done now when they get these inserts they put it on carte blanche you normally get three or four or five stories 
in that one hour. But if you sit and watch for that one hour on carte blanche on DSTV channel 101, there's actually 18 minutes of advertising. Now, if you look for uh, quotations to advertise on DSTV channel 101, the most expensive time period to advertise on channel 101 is the uh, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. slot on a Sunday night because carte blanche have to get more viewers. So what they do is they send out little teasers a week before and they put on social media little snippets and then they take down the snippets after they've got thousands of responses. So what they did a week or two weeks before they ran this program, they put out on social media how Springbok, uh, 1995 Springbok player, and they deliberately do it during the World Cup. So they know the Rugby World Cup is on. This is the flavor of the month. Let's get something out there. And they put out a sensational thing where they lie through their teeth they are so dishonest, it's shocking. They lie through their teeth. They accuse him of being a criminal on the air. Then when they're tackled by his lawyer on that, they take that social media grab down. And then two weeks later, they run this story where they give a platform to the crime syndicate that are taken hunters for the best part of 50 million rand. Hey, Paul. Okay, so you've... You've had your view on on all of this, and uh, clearly we're not uh, <laughs> we're not taking a position on whether card branch is good or bad. But in this case, I'm pretty sure, knowing the executive producer, they will apologise. Uh, there's no no question in my mind, and surely that's the the route to go. Hannes, from your side though, uh, as we wrap up now, because we all got to get ready for the World Cup final. You don't always wear your Springbok jersey <laughs> when you're on interview. I wear it Springbok Thursday today in, in Pretoria. That's why I'm wearing it today. It's, we wear all, all of my stuff. We just pretty up to today. Mm-hmm. But from your perspective, what Paul's now outlined, when you get onto a, a mass media uh, program like this, uh, did people stand by you? Did you get to know your friends and your not such friends? Very well, people that have known me. I've never done business. I've never corrupted anybody in my life. And it is, it, it, it's, it's difficult to keep a straight face and stay calm. I mean, with a God last cameraman in your face, shoving a microphone in your face, the the the, the reporter later said, "But I think this guy's deaf. He doesn't want to speak to me. I can't. I think he can't hear because he would look at his to his side." But it, it's just, um, I mean, I'm, that's, I'm so grateful for Paul and, and O'Sullivan coming in and helping me in this because um, I think they tried to close me down before I could get to the before the report could come out, and they would try try to knock me down and. And if I was knocked down, I mean, any business with a 50, 60 million rand loss would have, would have not been existed. And I'm the sole owner. I'm the only director of all the companies. And, and so I've got to take the brunt myself. And then I'm living through it. But I mean, any other person, and, and that's why I went for Paul, is, is for the best, go for the best, and then you get the best results. And, and that actually helped because we can now go to SOPRA, we can go to the Pharmacy Council, the Medical Control Council. We can show to them exactly what happened. And that I was not the one orchestrating it and getting the funding for it. And that will actually help me with a reputable person like Paul O'Sullivan and Associates helping me in getting the real the real specs out there. Well, it takes a lifetime to build a business like yours. It, it takes an instant to have it, in, not in your case, being destroyed, but certainly the reputation to be tarnished in the way that it has. I'm, I'm... Alec, Alec, I remember any, any, any publicity is good publicity. We'll turn it around. I think people will start realizing really what happened. 
and we'll turn it around and with the sisters of Paul and the publicity we're getting through it, um, I'm sure that, that, that we'll get through this. Uh, for sure. Before you go, uh, it's just before the World Cup final. I guess a lot of people are going to be watching this after the World Cup final. Are you going to put your neck on the line there? I'll put another million on the on the on the on the Springboks break. You know, as I said earlier, they can send the cup so long to South Africa, whereas it's, it's meant to be here. Uh, we'll make the space for it in the trophy cabinet here in, in, in South Africa. In the racing industry where I come from, they say from your lips to God's ears. Uh, sorry, Paul, last last word. Yeah, I, I'm currently in Manchester on business, which is um, I'm pleased to say I've managed to get a, a ticket. So. Um, I'm going to fly from London to Paris on Saturday and hopefully, um, you know, I'm going to, well, in fact, I'm, yeah, I'm going to start off in Paris at O'Sullivan's pub uh, in the middle of Paris. <laughs> the, yourself. One, one of the most famous Irish pubs in Paris. And um, after I've finished up there, I'm probably going to slip up to the stadium uh, where I, I got it to get and. Hopefully, we'll, we'll see them uh, get the, the final kick over the, the, the bar in a minute or two minutes before the end of the game. Uh, it's going to be, if it's anything like the English uh, game or the, the last time New Zealand um, and South Africa played, I think they won it 30 seconds before the end of the game. So, I think the same thing can happen, yeah. Or, Close game. or even... Even like the game that Hannes was uh, involved in in 1995 in extra time. We'll take it any way we can. And, uh, anyway, we're just bringing Wonderful talking with you, Hannes. Uh, Hannes Stradrom, um, who's given us his insights on uh, the ordeal that he's been through. And it happens often in business. Just open your eyes. And Paul O'Sullivan, forensic investigator from Forensics for Justice. I'm Alec Hogg from Biznews.com. 